You know, I think it's the great duty of every father to do his best to be able to raise his children well. Uh, I know for myself, growing up, um, my father is the ultra handyman. He's the kind of guy in, when you go to Home Depot or at a hardware store and someone tries to approach him, he could easily say, I know more than you. <laughs> and and kind of move on just because he knows so much about uh, just really how to do any home improvement task. Uh, so because of that, I was usually his gopher growing up where he would have me hold on to something or help cut something. And I absolutely hated it. I hated every single minute of being my dad's gopher growing up. I just felt like I was his child slave laborer, and that was the main reason why I was born, was to be able to help dad with all the home projects that he had going around. But I remember when I got married to Michaela uh, a little over 10 years ago, uh, we were moving from South Florida all the way out to here into Colorado, and the timing was right around Christmas before the move, and my mom and dad kindly asked me, knowing that I'd be heading off to a brand new state for my wife and I, starting this new life together, they asked, what would you like for this Christmas? We'd like to try to go the extra mile if we can to help you guys out. So what would you like? And I remember thinking for a moment right there and telling my dad that I'd like a bag of tools. And I could almost visibly see the tears coming down my dad's eyes, you know, being this home improvement guy and kind of looking at me and asking for tools and totally blowing his expectations of what he thought I would ask for. And it was, I could tell he was looking at me almost like, my work here is done. My son asked me for tools. (laughs) And sure enough, he gave me an awesome bag full of tools, and of course, for him, it was Milwaukee tools that he filled up with this bag and uh, sent me off to Colorado. And I remember just being here for my first few weeks, and of course, there came some projects where I had to build some things or fix some things, and I called my dad up and I said, Dad, for all of the grief I ever gave you when I was a kid about all the things at that time that I thought were miserable to do, I just want to say thank you for giving me some skills here to, to, to feel good as this young and newly married man. And uh, I remember him saying, oh yeah, no problem there, son. And still, to this day, I think about all of the things that my dad has, has taught me and the confidence that he has given me to be able to at least try it out and see if I can do it. And most of the times, I think I probably know just enough to be dangerous. Uh, but still, I think about, and I blame my father in a positive way, for giving me some of those skills to be able to at least attempt to do things like putting brakes on a car, fixing things around the house. And maybe you have a story yourself of your father teaching you a thing or two. And I think that is an important part of life, that we are called to be able to teach our children and learn from our parents and our fathers on how to live. Now, I understand that not everybody has a story of a good father in their lives, but the reality is, is all of us have a good heavenly father. 
And when we think about our faith, I think we need to look ultimately to our Heavenly Father for wisdom in understanding our faith. So make no mistake that all of this timing was intentional. That we would start this series on Father's Day as a reminder for each of us that we have a Father in Heaven that wants to teach us how to be His children. Who we can look to for wisdom, for understanding, for how to live out our faith. You know, maybe you have a Bible with you or a Bible at home, hopefully. And if you don't, let us know because we would love to gift you with a Bible. But you can look through this book and you can see a lot of pages in it, right? And I know for some of you, that can feel like an intimidating task. Where do I start? There are all of these books and scriptures, and I'm not sure where to begin. And even if I do start somewhere, how do I really live out my faith? How do I really know what it means to be a Christian? Well, as a church, we want to take some time to look at that. You know, when I was first working through this series... I was asking myself that question, what does it really mean to be a Christian? And this series has kind of taken on a few different forms as I thought through that question for you guys. Because you see, as a pastor at this church, it's my duty as well as the elders to be able to help instruct us in our faith. Because you see, I believe church isn't just us having a fun time on Sundays. I want us to have fun, but it's more than that. This is our training ground. This is our opportunity to be able to learn the truths of God, to be able to take notice of what the Lord's word says and to allow that to transform our lives. It's why I believe we are to do it in community because we are to be a community that encourages one another, that prays for one another, that tries to journey with each other as we live out our faith. I don't know about you, but I genuinely enjoy learning in the context of other people. There's something about being able to have people who journey with you as you are learning a subject. So what are we going to be looking at in the following weeks? Well, we're going to be looking at the greatest sermon ever given. And that is the Sermon on the Mount. If you don't know what that sermon is about, you will by the end of this series. But this sermon is so powerful, it's so interesting, it's so life-changing, and it's so different than anything that had ever been delivered up until this moment that as I read through this sermon in the coming weeks, you will think to yourself, I've heard this before, I've heard this before, I've heard this before, because Jesus's Sermon on the Mount radically changed the world till we look back at it today and still see the fingerprints of the Sermon on the Mount in the minds and hearts of other people. But for this series, we're going to be intentionally looking at that sermon 
verse by verse to come with a greater understanding of what it means to be a Christian. You may have noticed driving into our parking lot that if you look at our sign, our church says, Peace Mennonite Community Church. I know for myself, just a few years ago, I had no clue what that meant to be a Mennonite. Well, ultimately, it means to be a Christian, but one of the beautiful heritage of being a Mennonite or being Anabaptist is being able to read the Bible in reverse, we call it. And that is specifically looking at the life of Jesus in this Sermon on the Mount as the context through which we understand Scripture. Because it is through this message that I believe so much of God's word will become illuminated. So I believe that if you listen to these messages each week, if you take time to hear the words well, to apply them in your life, and to journey with us, that by the end of this series, your faith will grow, You'll understand what it means to be a Christian in a completely new light. But more importantly, your life will change as a result of it. So to do that today, let's go ahead and open up to Matthew 5. Matthew 5. The first verse there says this. Now when Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on a mountainside and sat down. His disciples came to him, and he began to teach them. Now, what's going on here? Jesus sees a crowd and decides that this is a good opportunity to teach everybody. However, it's important to say, well, how did the crowd get there? Why was there a crowd of people around Jesus? And if you look at the few verses that come before it, specifically chapter 4, verses 23 onward, what you'll hear there is that Jesus has been traveling around, preaching the good news, in doing what's called signs and wonders. He's casting out demons from people. He's bringing healing into people's lives. He's literally rescuing the people, both spiritually and physically. And I think that's important. And it could be very easy for me to skip over that portion. But I, as I was working on the message this week, didn't want to skip over it. Because I think it actually teaches us something that we can easily miss. And that is, is in the life of Jesus, and I would say in the life of the disciples... There was always the word of God. There was always preaching the good news. But there was also what? The signs and wonders. There was these miracle moments where people were prayed for and healing was brought. Where things happened that were absolutely miraculous and marvelous for any time period, any person, in any day. And it's interesting because I think that drew the crowd. It was the fact that Jesus not only taught powerful things, but he did powerful things. And I think the question that I started to ask myself as I observed that is what does that mean for the church of today? 
Because you see, I like to believe that between all of the activities that our church commits itself to, that we want to do what? Speak the truth to other people. In love, of course. And we want it to be the kind of truth that will benefit people's lives. We want to encourage people and love on people through the things that we do and the words that we say. You know, there's this famous quote that in some ways makes me sad because there's some good truth in in it, but it's been wrongly carried through history. And it's been wrongly attributed to Francis Assisi. And some of you have probably heard of this quote before. And it says, preach the, the word, but use words if necessary. Preach the good news, but use words if, if necessary. And what it's basically saying is, is that make sure your life and your actions are preaching the good news. And I think that portion of it is really good because... The reality is, is that we as people can speak into the lives of others, but we can, do, we can fail to do what? Be actually good to the life of other people, to actually have good deeds and good works. We need to be both, though. We can't just do, do good deeds. We also need to speak the truth. And I believe Jesus was doing exactly that. But maybe you're hearing me and you're saying to yourself, well, Pastor Kevin, I'm not Jesus. I'm not Moses. I've never split the sea into two. I've never seen a person sick and laid hands on them and seen them be restored to health or raised the dead. And I would say I'm right there with you, (laughs) although that would be pretty cool. (laughs) And maybe one day I'll get to see a few of those things. But here's the thing, is oftentimes we think that being a blessing to somebody else, providing a miracle in somebody else's life, always has to be a supernatural encounter, where somebody flips a switch and something changes, when in reality, miracles are more than just supernatural occurrences, In fact, if I take time to look at my life and to look at the times where I prayed for God's provision, it oftentimes came in very simple and normal ways. I was writing this message and I was thinking about a time last year where Jessica and Adam helped out my family. We were incredibly sick, and Michaela and I and and the kids were all throwing up. We had this terrible stomach bug that was making its way through my entire family. And it was so bad, and we were so dehydrated that the paramedics even came to my house and took Michaela away to give her IV fluid at the hospital. And desperate in this situation, I called Jess and Adam. At this point, I had called a few people, and nobody picked up. But Jessica and Adam did. And in the middle of the night, I think it was just like 4 a.m. or something, they answer and they say, we'll be right there. And Adam goes and he comes and he rescues the situation for us and takes care of us. And they loved us so much, they went home with the virus and then their family had it. (laughs) But I think about that and I think about what preceded that moment. And it was, Lord, help me. Lord, help me. 
And what happened? God provided somebody to help me through Jessica and Adam loving on our family. So here's the thing, church. You can be a miracle to somebody's prayer. It doesn't always have to be that somebody is sick and you lay hands on them and then instantly they're healed. That can happen. It's happened in my life, but it hasn't always been the way that things happen. In fact, I would say that oftentimes the road that God wants us to travel is one that keeps us dependent upon him. I think that if anything, God desires for each and every single person here to participate in the good works and deeds that he calls us to. I know that much because scripture actually encourages us to that point. It says that God has prepared good deeds for us to do in advance, which means that there are literally opportunities that God has set up for each of you to walk through in being a blessing to somebody else. But I think in oftentimes what ends up happening is, is we think that we can't really meet the needs of other people. If my story about Jessica and Adam loving on me isn't simple enough, the truth is, is that you can love on people and be a blessing to others in ways that are big and small. I'm sure for them, Jess, and I, 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 I kind of put you on the spot here, you probably didn't know how much of an impact that made on our lives. But it made a lasting impact. And that's the truth is, is that sometimes in order to make a lasting impact, it's just being willing. It's being willing. It's why Jesus later on in the Gospels says that the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are what? Few, because few people oftentimes engage and participate actively in the work of God. Here's the thing, church. You don't need to be a preacher to be a blessing. You don't even need to have these supernatural instances where you pray for somebody and boom, they're healed to be a blessing. Being a blessing means meeting people right where they're at. Jesus did that, and he demonstrated that. Yes, he did that in very many miraculous ways, but at the end of the day, he visited with people right where they were. And what was the response of that moment? The response was, was that crowds gathered Oftentimes, I believe that the best ways that you can grow a church or grow a fellowship of believers together is to be authentic people that are meeting others right where they're at. It's why we take very seriously these concepts of discipleship here at this church. It's why this year, for our 4th of July celebration, we wanted to think about how can we serve others? How can we not just bless our own congregation by allowing this church to be used to enjoy a wonderful pastime as Americans? But how do we become a blessing to our neighboring communities? It's why, for instance, Phil has 
written the Neighborhood Watch in our community just over here and sent them an invitation for them to come and use our space here, enjoy some hot dogs and free food and fellowship with us and enjoy the show. That's such a simple thing for us to do, but we believe that in order to meet people, you got to go where, right where they're at. And the blessings don't need to be as spectacular as we oftentimes think. It can just be as simple as being available. I'm so proud of our church because I know many of you make yourselves available. Because I see it week to week, month to month, how I hear stories of when somebody's moving. People call a church member and then boom, five other people show up to help somebody move. I see it that when somebody's sick in the hospital, you guys will spring into action and figure out how can I make a meal. All of these things, in my opinion, are miracles. They are blessings. Because a miracle is just truly being able to change someone's situation. The natural trajectory of their situation from something going down maybe a, a, a path of difficulty to a path of blessings. That's a miracle. I oftentimes count the greatest miracle in my life wasn't the fact that I got healed, which I did, but rather that I even came to know the gospel of Jesus Christ. There is no greater miracle, in my opinion, than becoming a person transformed by Jesus' life, death, and resurrection. That God can take a person like me, who is broken, who has many issues and many things that God is still working on, and turn me from a broken sinner to somebody who is whole through him. To be able to turn me from somebody who had my own anger issues to a person of peace so that I can create a legacy not only in my own life but in the life of my children. Church, I believe one of the quickest ways that we can continue to fill up seats here is to simply live life as a blessing for others. To think about ways to love and bless other people. Because just like Jesus did, the crowds begin to form. Why? Because when you meet somebody's needs, it's a viral and impactful experience. And it's one that God wants us to participate in regularly. So the hard question to ask with that is, in your day-to-day -day life, are you considering the opportunities that are in front of you to be able to love and bless other people that are around you? I think I should probably get to verse 2 now. <laughs> Sometimes I call that the sermon before the sermon. <laughs> so let's keep reading now with that mindset set before us. Let's read now from verses 3. And I'm going to finish us out through verses 12. This portion of text is called the Beatitudes in your Bible. If you don't have your Bibles, or even if you do, take the time to really listen to these words. So I'm going to read it a little slower than I normally do. Because I think these are really special portions of Scripture. Blessed are the poor in spirit. 
for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers. We should probably underline that as a church called peace. For they will be called children of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven, for in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. So as I just said a moment ago, this section of scripture is famously called the Beatitudes. You know, I grew up in a Christian home, and it was a God-fearing home, well, because I was a Hispanic, and uh, if you don't know anything about Hispanic, Hispanic mamas, they are not afraid to take off of any article, shoe, whatever it is to throw at you if you're misbehaving. <laughs> but I grew up going to church and learning scriptures, but my faith did not become my own until I was 15 years old. That's when I really had my encounter with Jesus. And I remember shortly after that moment wanting to read God's word and really learn up everything that I can. And I remember as clear as day reading this section of scripture. I'll admit I didn't really know what it meant. And maybe you've read it before and said, I have no idea what this means. But I remember reading, Blessed are the meek. And it spoke to me in a powerful way. Because even though I've broken my fears of going up on stage and sharing with you guys and trying to be a public speaker, they say public speaking is one of the greatest fears on earth. In fact, it's second most to the fear of death, uh, which means for most people, but I think it's actually greater than the fear of death. So I think for most people, they'd rather be dead than the one giving the funeral service. <laughs> but I remember reading with very little understanding, but just praying for the Holy Spirit to help me understand his word and seeing that word meek there. Because at that time in my life as a 15-year-old, I was meek. I was shy. I didn't know how to come out of my shell. And if you're a 15-year-old boy, at least in the generation that I grew up in, you wanted to be tough. You wanted to be strong. You wanted to be the kind of guy that could stand taller than the others. That was not my gift. I grew up playing basketball, and I stopped when everybody started going like this more, and I'm like, trying to get a little taller. <laughs> and I felt meek at that time. 
And nowhere in my life up until that point had I ever heard somebody compliment meekness. Not only that, but to say something as radical are as blessed are those who thirst and hunger for righteousness. Blessed are those who show mercy. Because you see, the world we live in likes to believe that might is right. That to be tough and stoic is the greatest virtue, at least for a man, that you can have. That you always need to be able to show yourself strong, stronger than others, and that if you are going to cry, or if you are going to struggle, to do that in secret. I think it's why, even to this day sometimes, when somebody asks me the question, how can I help? I don't always want to say what I need, because there's this certain American toughness that we are all to have. But you see, God's kingdom is so radical. It's an upside-down kingdom. It's one that takes the concept of our daily lives, and it transforms them in ways that are so upside down from what our world likes to look at. It's the kind of kingdom where a meek person is a blessed person, not because they're shy, but rather because of the type of posture that God wants us to have. You see, if you didn't know, this whole entire intro to the blessed are is really Jesus trying to encourage what discipleship looks like. Because you see, one of the hardest things that you can do in life is actually be a Christian. That might shock you, me saying that. Because unfortunately, if you've ever seen maybe some public figures who our public personalities for you know Christianity you don't hear that message instead what you oftentimes hear is is that oh being a christian means that god blesses you in your area of finances and that your health goes the right way your marriage goes the right way and sometimes that's not the case don't get me wrong i'm not saying that being a christian means to be cursed or that life becomes worse but what I am saying is, is that being a Christian is incredibly difficult because it means that you are committing yourself to a way of life that is oftentimes countercultural to the world. You see, the world desires for you to oftentimes live in a way that is contrary to God. Let me make an easy case in point there. Jesus said to do what to our enemies? To love them. That when somebody wants to literally harm you, that you do what? You turn the other cheek. I don't know about you, but it's probably easier to throw a punch than it is to turn the other cheek. That is not easy. Being a Christian is not easy. And if any of you have been a Christian long enough, you have faced encounters in your life where those crossroads were met. Do I live like the world and fight back with violence with violence, anger with anger, hate with hate? Or do I live how God is calling me to live and overcome evil with what? Good. That is a hard path to choose. 
And believe it or not, what the Beatitudes is trying to communicate, what Jesus is trying to encourage us with, is to realize that even though when the world looks at us, we look like people who are meek, in reality, we are the people who will truly inherit everything. That is not an easy path to take, but it is a worthwhile one. So what is the basics of the faith that we're learning at least within week one here? It's that Jesus' kingdom looks different than the earthly kingdom that we are a part of. But it's a good kingdom. And it's a good thing that God is calling us to. Maybe in your life, meek isn't the word that describes you, but maybe mercy is. Whatever word you cling to on here, know this, that God is calling us to each of them. God is calling us to be people who are blessed. In the original Greek here, the word that's used for bless is a very different word than what is normally used for the word blessed. In scripture, the Hebrew word for blessed is baruch. And it means just that, to be a blessing. But the Greek word that's used here is totally different from that common word that Scripture uses to be blessed. And the Scripture author, Matthew, uses the word makaros. And that means to be happy. But not the kind of happiness that we oftentimes associate with our culture. You see, in our culture, when we think of happiness, we think of what? Something good coming into our lives that made us happy. So maybe more money or a new car or a promotion. And not that anything, not that any one of those things are wrong. That form of happiness is fleeting because that form of happiness is temporary. It's associated with something that ultimately can rust or be taken away. But the kind of blessed and the kind of happy that the Bible authors are trying to communicate is more of a state of mind. It's a condition of life. It's one that can experience a joy and a lasting happiness in knowing that God sees them right where you are at. You see, it's the kind of happiness that we can hold on to that while the world may persecute us, we are whose? God's children. That though the world may look at us as meek people because we are the kinds of people who turn the other cheek. We are the kinds of people who do not repay evil with evil, but repay evil with what? Good. And that might look weak to the world. In reality, we are strong. God not only wants us to be meek, but he wants us to be the kinds of people that thirst for him, that thirst for righteousness. Oftentimes, one of the tragedies that we experience in this day and age is the tragedy of people not caring enough for the needs and the struggles of others. 
God wants us to be the kinds of people that can care enough for the needs and the struggles of others. If your faith is one that is just lived inwardly, if your faith is one that just is centered around the benefits that you can receive and only you can receive from God, then there is a brokenness in your faith. Because everything that Jesus has shown us is is that our faith is one that transforms us from the inside out. Amen? It's one that is meant to be lived out and not hoarded with. You know, we've all probably had that experience in life. Or maybe it's in grade, you're in grade school. You rip open a bag of candy. And the minute you open it up, what happens? Every single one of your buddies comes by to steal that candy from you, right? Hey, can I have one? <laughs> And there's a moment there where you have to think to yourself, am I going to share or am I going to keep this to myself? We can't keep our faith to ourselves. In fact, I would say that your faith is not living and not active and not growing in the ways that it's meant to grow if you are caging your faith. In order to experience the fullness of what God has for you, you need to have a faith that moves outward. A faith where somebody can accuse you of some t- at some time and some point of being a peacemaker, of being a person who shows mercy, of being a person who desires righteousness, of being a person who can mourn for the tragedies that we see on this planet we call earth. Being a person who to others looks like they are poor in spirit because we have a sensitivity to the needs around us and we have a desire to pray and uplift those around us. But in reality, you can't be these things unless you are strong. It is a hard thing, and I would say it's a very noble thing to be strong in this way. And I love that our Heavenly Father models it so clearly for each of us. The question now is, is how will you model it? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the truth that is in it. And we pray, Lord, through this series of basics that you will help us understand what it means to live out our faith. As we listen to this great sermon, the greatest sermon ever given, we pray, Father, that your words would transform us, that you would teach us how to be your disciples and how to live our faith outwardly to the world. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.